You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Amanda. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Chelsea. And today we're going to do... Um, a case on two people, Maria Cabuenos and Julie Barniak. And with this, we're going to start with Maria first. Now, she was a 25-year-old Filipino living in Philadelphia. She had moved to PA in 1986 to be with her family and to finish school. She graduated from St. Michael's School in 1990, then went to the Community College of Philadelphia, graduating in 1992. She went on to work at SmithKline Beacom in Norristown as a lab technician in the automated chemistry department. On March 15th, 1997, she left for work and disappeared. Was she living with her family at that time? So I actually interviewed someone that was a coworker and a friend of hers, and I did ask her, and she said she was not 100% sure, but she believes that at the time she was living at family but she was looking to move in with her boyfriend. Uh, later on, I'll talk more about him. But at the time, it, she was with family. Okay. March 16th, 1997, her family reported her missing after she didn't show up for work. I was able to talk to one of her friends, like I just, just stated, who was also a coworker. They said that the police didn't take the missing report seriously. They strongly believed that it fell to the wayside because she was not a white woman. Which is blatantly clear later as we go on in the story, you'll kind of see how misrepresented she was and how she was not taken serious. Her friend also told me that one of Maria's brothers had dealings with the gang and the police chalked it up to gang activity. So even if it was gang activity, they weren't even going to investigate it? Basically what her friend chalked it up to was it being collateral damage because other than the brother, she had no ties. She had no record. She was, you know, doing great for herself. She was, she had a fiance. She had a great work ethic. There was nothing else to, you know, have ties with the gang. Gotcha. She didn't believe this and knew something was wrong right away, her friend. She described Maria as being dependable and the nicest person ever. Months had gone by with zero help from the authorities. Maria had 10 brothers and sisters In their free time, they would travel her route home from work, which would be the blue route, praying for signs of their sister. Maria's family was extremely religious Catholics, but they were so desperate to find her, they even turned to psychics. Did you find anything about what the psychic or psychics told the family? No, I couldn't find anything. And I did ask a friend and she uh, was not sure. She wasn't really friends with the family, just with Maria. Police realized June 5th, 1997, that they should be focusing more on Maria's case. There was a break-in at a residence in Ardmore, which led to the arrest of Arthur Bomar. Arthur was found in the possession of Maria's car, and the situation of missing was pointing to homicide. In the trunk of the car, there were bloodstains that were later confirmed to be Maria's. Authorities searched Arthur's residence and found a watch that had belonged to Maria. Now, the person I talked to said that there were more personal belongings of Maria's found in his home, but none of the articles stated anything else, and she didn't give specifics. Well, that's sketchy. Very, very sketchy. When his background was run, they discovered that he was convicted of murdering a man in the parking lot in Nevada over a parking space in 1978, and he was served a life sentence. But due to good behavior, he only served 11.5 years in jail. 
That is insane. I kind of want to know like where this parking spot is. Like, are we talking in the front of the casino or like in front of like, where is it? Because it has to be one hell of a parking spot to kill somebody. Shopping mall on black Friday. I could see it. (laughs) You're not wrong. True. Well, unfortunately, articles did not say they didn't uh, bring that up, but there was a whole lot of outcry from public over the fact that he had killed somebody and then was released for good behavior and then moved and uh, did tons of crimes. We'll talk about a little bit later, but because of this, uh, Bill Clinton signed in a law and basically it says that because of the bureaucrat, how do you say it? (laughs) Bureaucratic. Okay. Because of the bureaucratic issues, which allowed Bomar to remain free to commit these crimes, the Victims of Trafficking and Violence Protection Act, H.R. 3244, better known as Amy's Law, was passed by the U.S. Congress by a vote of 90 to 5 in 2000 and signed into law by Bill Clinton on October 28, 2000. And it encourages states to keep murderers, rapists, and child molesters behind bars longer. And it holds the state... It holds the states financially accountable if it fails to do so. It allows interstate parole violators to be jailed in their state of residence at the expense of the state where the original offense was committed. And it also allows for offenders to be jailed in another state if circumstances allow. So when Bomar did move to Warrington, PA in 1990, he pretty much brought Iran a terror. In 1990, Arthur was arrested for assault and intent to kill Teresa Thompson in warranting at the local Legion because she denied his advances. He served only seven months because the charges were dropped when the victim had died of a drug overdose. So they were dropped because she couldn't testify because she was dead? Exactly. It's sad. It's I don't very like sad. No. I guess because she couldn't. Uh, I guess they were going to use her. There was no one else there to witness the crime. So that's the only thing right. yeah. that I could think of. In 1993, he was the primary suspect in the Julie Barniak killing, and we will talk about her more later on. February 28th, 1996, Arthur bumps his car into a 21-year-old woman's car in Buckingham. He tried to get her out of the car multiple times. Now, her father was a Philadelphia police officer and was smart enough to memorize his license plate number, and he was later then charged with reckless driving. Do we know if he had a gold Honda Prelude and hung out in Pittsburgh? Because his rage sounds like the guy that killed David Hurley. (laughs) So, when I was researching him, the only car that they ever really mention is Maria's car when he was driving it. Okay. Just a thought. You never know. He definitely has a temper. (laughs) December 10th, 1997, Arthur is arrested for the kidnap, rape, and murder of Amy Willard. He did the same thing to Amy that he had done in February 1996. He bumped into her car, and when she got out, he raped her. Her car was found still idling on a highway off-ramp with blood and her panties nearby. She was severely beaten in the head and left dead in a North Philadelphia parking lot. What is it with this guy in parking lots? I have no idea. No idea. Maybe that's why he, he needed that parking spot so he could leave beaten women. You never know. It's a possibility. Needless to say, Arthur Bomar was not good news at all. He denied the disappearance of Maria and claimed that he bought the car off a stranger in the area. Yeah, you know, I like to buy cars that have blood stains on them without asking any questions. You know, totally see why he would do that. 
Well, it was, he provided information on who he bought the car from and they were never, ever able to verify it. And he claimed that it was not that much money, but even back then cars are a lot of money and he wasn't making a ton. Right. It was probably discounted because of the bloodstains. Well, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. But then it doesn't really bring up, I I didn't find anything about what his response was to finding her watch in his home. Uh, I was assuming that he was going to say, oh, it was in the car, extra, bonus. But it was not mentioned. I guess. Yeah, exactly. If someone dies in a house, I mean, no one really wants to buy the house. Case in point, the one in town, the Wolliver house. But, yeah. I mean, I would assume it's the same, you know, someone might have died in the car. Is it discounted because of that? But usually they clean up, right? I would think You so. would hope. It's probably not certified pre-owned, Chelsea. <laughs> Didn't think about that. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. New Year's Eve of 1999, Maria's skeletal remains were found by a local man walking his dog in the wooded area of Tinicum Township. She was found 100 yards into the woods off of Beaver Run Road, which was lightly traveled road in a rural area approximately 75 minutes from Center City. So how close or far is this to where he was living and where the other incidents took place? I don't know this area of the state that well. So he lived in Warrington, which is a roughly 45 minutes from Tinicum Township, and it's all okay. Tinicum Township is closer to Philadelphia than War- Warrington is, and Ardmore okay. is just outside of Philly. I I want to say 15 to 20 minutes. It's been a long time since I've traveled between them and Philly for school, but they're not that far. Gotcha. She was identified by her teeth, and there was a ring on the on her finger, which had her nickname on it. Her remains indicated that she died of blunt force trauma to the head. The authorities couldn't confirm if she was sexually assaulted or if she was killed there. By her body, there was a fingernail found, but there was not enough skin under it to test. I had to look it up because I'm not sure, but fingernails are made up of keratin, not cells, with a nucleus containing DNA. Now, I wonder if this day and age they could attempt to see if they could extract anything to test, but... I have no idea how that works, and I don't know how well they kept it. But police believe that Arthur bumped her car and lured her out of hers and attacked her, just like he did to Amy Willard and what he attempted to do to the other woman. Maria's severe head injuries matched that of Amy and Julie. People in the area started to bestow Arthur the moniker the Blue Root Killer. He was never convicted for the death of Maria. How? I mean, he seems like such a slippery motherfucker. He's done so much stuff. So by the time that her body was found and they started to investigate it, basically Amy Willard's case, he had already been arrested for that. I'm not sure how far, how long it took for him to actually be convicted from the time he was arrested, but the family strongly believes that it's because he's already behind bars and that she isn't white or, you know, from born in America, that she doesn't get the same justice as someone such as Amy. Yeah, I'd believe it for sure. I actually saw this with another case that I did research where the victim later down the line, um, they like never charged him because he was already in jail for life and it was kind of pointless. However, you would think that if that was the case in this, that they would mark it solved. Yeah. And if I was a family member or a friend here, I mean, I would want that closure. I wouldn't want 
well, most likely this is what happened. You know, you've got the evidence, and if you can take it somewhere, I would want that sort of closure. Um, it does seem odd to me that they wouldn't pursue it or even just, you know, add more years to his current sentence, uh, unless there was some sort of legal roadblock that they kind of fell into. I'm just wondering if maybe the family didn't want to go to trial. Maybe they had kind of accepted closure. Well, from what I read and from what the friend said, the family was severely involved. Like, I mean, just constantly calling, calling, calling. Um, the Her one sister, Marion, I believe mm-hmm. is her name. She was just so upset. I mean, they were, all were upset. I mean, obviously. But she was very on top of it, just asking for help. Um, later on, you'll hear that the community, uh, the Filipino community, like really came together for them. And it's just really, really sad. And the thing that gets me is he got charged with driving reckless. And to me, if he's on probation from killing someone and got let out early, wouldn't wouldn't that state be notified? And wouldn't he like have broken that probation? Is I don't know how it works, but like some states that it doesn't transfer. Um like when I was in college out towards Pittsburgh, there were some kids in from other states. They came from like as far as we had one from Dominican Republic and they would have like the license plates that were when it was really cool to have the license plates tilted in the bumper. And that's illegal in Pennsylvania. And they would get fined and they would race and do all kinds of stuff and get all these points on their license. And it didn't matter because they never transferred to their home state. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just really sad that he hasn't been charged. But Maria's family created a memorial where her remains are found. Gail Willard, the mother of Amy Willard, who passed away and he was convicted of, gifted the family with a cross which says Maria, quote, Maria Princess Cabaneras to put at the site. Now, the the mom of Amy noticed that they were not getting as much attention as Amy was. And the cross actually matches one of Amy's crosses that is on the blue route where her car was parked um, before getting attacked. So they had the same cross, obviously different names, but um, the Gail definitely reached out. And from what I read in some of the interviews that Marion had give given, it was like she, they were grieving together. It was someone that they could like talk to because they found Amy's body first. So she had already been through that grief. And then when it came to Maria and it was really nice, like she didn't have to. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So they had a small ceremony there where the body was found. And her sister Marion said that she felt at peace that the family makes a trek there each week to visit. They say in their culture, it's a little grave for her because that's where she was found. Then Maria's family had a rite with which over 700 people attended to show their respects. Her friend Adele Sulit said the Filipino community united for this. We're strangers here, so Maria will be an example to us to be careful. The rite was held at Holy Innocence Roman Catholic Church. It's so scary and uncomfortable that someone is less safe because of their genetics. And I know we've touched on this before and it's, you know, a a huge conversation piece over the past 
at least five years, if not 10 or 15. And we do see it all the time with things like your age, can't control your age, can't control how you're born. You can't control your ethnicity. You can't control your family. Um, we see it a lot, but that quote, Maria will be an example to us to be careful, just slams me in the gut. It's really sad. And it's just unfair. And we see it with Mm -hmm. just too many cases. Yeah. So while researching this case, it became apparent that Maria Cabuenos didn't have nearly any coverage compared to Amy Willard, who was a 22-year-old white girl who was a lacrosse player at George Mason University. In over half the articles I was able to find on Maria, it was in conjunction with articles on Amy and some even in conjunction with Julie Barniak articles. And in the articles for Maria, there was also a lot of conflicting information, whereas, um, at least for Julie's, because hers is still unsolved, there was just a better timeline and more information and more people interviewed. And it just had a lot more. It was so much easier to find stuff for Julie than it was for Amy. So the contact I talked to grew up in Philadelphia and has friends in jail and working at the jail that Arthur Boma resides in. And she says that he has admitted to the murder of Maria to multiple people inside the prison. And between the family and friends, such as the contact, they just want justice for Maria. The contact had posed a question. Do they not pursue him because he is already behind bars? They also said that one of Maria's sisters worked with Arthur in a nursing home in the area. Now, is that just a coincidence? She also said that they miss Maria so much that at work, there was such a great friend group from all nationalities and religions. They said that after the night shift, they would all walk along Valley Forge Pass. And the contact laughed and said that during the night, she was always on the phone with her boyfriend while she worked. They were inseparable and her life was absolutely taken too soon. It definitely feels, and I know I, kind of already ranted on this a little bit, but it feels like there's this idea of, well, he said he did it. So let's leave it at that sort of thing. Um, like instead of going through any of the legal proceedings to make it official. Um, but I mean, we are still speculating. We're, you know, four people that do not work in forensics that are looking at what's available to the public. Um, So we're, I mean, we're definitely speculating, but I have to think too of how many times that someone has admitted in jail to a crime that they didn't actually commit. So even if he did say, you know, oh, well, yeah, I did it, which he hasn't yet, but, you know, we're still just going to take that instead of going forward with it. I keep getting stuck on this, but... I don't know. It it just seems weird. I'm just so confused. There was just so much against him. He had her car. He had items of hers. One, definitely a watch that he kept at home. Was that more of like a trophy type thing? The, seems right? like it's it. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. How you were saying, Sarah, about like um, how some people will admit to murders that they didn't do. Um, there was a guy that murder multiple people in central PA and he was in a state prison, like a cushier state prison. And they found some remains and they brought him back to a local prison and we're going to try him for those, this extra body. And, um, someone I know 
worked in that prison and said, you know, Hey, did you do it? And he was like, no, but I just going to admit to it so I can go back up to my cushy Hmm. place upstate. I think that's a lot more common than we realize. Yeah. Which is horrible because you're admitting and now there's person. I'm sure there's motivations for that, that we don't even think of. Like I, I never would have considered that. So. Yeah. I mean, he was serving a life sentence, so it didn't really matter. So maybe that's the case in here. Like he's already asserted, I'm assuming he's serving a life sentence. Yeah. So he's just going to admit to it at this point, even though he has all this against him. I don't know. For the fact that the cases were so similar between the women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he did it. I think he did it. But I also like if he didn't, is he just admitting to it because true it's a shame and i just wish i wish there'd be more information and now granted you'll see why it's so upsetting when we move into julie's cage which we're doing now um because you will see for julie's case that da pushes every anniversary for this case whereas for maria there was no there has been no push at all so for julie barniak Julie lived with her parents, Gloria and Joseph, and two sisters, Beth and Amy. They lived in New Britain Township just over the Bucks County line from Lansdale. She had just graduated from Central Bucks West High School that June. Her mother said that she was extremely friendly and she would make friends with homeless people in Philadelphia all the time. Now, they strongly believe that her friendliness, which it kind of led to her demise, Monday, November 8th, 1993, Julie spent the day in South Street, Philadelphia with friends, one including Brian Todd, who was a homeless 25-year-old man. At 12.20 a.m., Julie called her parents to come pick her up from the Lansdale train station. Gloria said that while talking with her daughter, she sounded very nervous. She attempted to ask her if the Lansdale station was a good place to meet, but Julie had already hung up the phone abruptly. Joseph arrived at the train station by 1 a.m. and Julie was nowhere to be found. Gloria and Joseph stayed up all night waiting for her to come home. When she didn't, they reported her missing the next day. Gloria said that in the beginning, the police did not take it serious. And in the beginning, it was just a a missing persons case, so it fell under the jurisdiction of the New Britain Township Police. But when they did find her body, it moved over to a different jurisdiction, which I'm not really sure why. Would any of you know why? If If the body was found in a different location, or was it found at that train station? It was found at the train station. I mean, it might fall, like, really close. Is it maybe really close to the border or something like that? I think it's I think it's very close to the border of counties. Maybe that's why. It could be. I'm thinking, too, like, the missing person, maybe why they thought missing person was because it, she was supposed to be picked up at a train station. Yeah. Well, to me, yeah. if I was a parent, I'm not going to have you wake me up at, like, past midnight to get a ride home i would have rules or find your own way i don't know that to me blows my mind like and they said that she did that often like would go to philly and then come home that's like super late don't you guys think that's late yeah and why pick her up at a train station like that doesn't make sense to me like are could she not ride the train did the train not go to her home like what was the... Oh, okay. Was it because she was nervous? Did the homeless man live there? Oh, so I'll explain this. So the so the train, it's like, uh, it's SEPTA, and it has like R5, R6, whatever. I think her hers was R5. And 
it takes you to like certain areas, but it wasn't near her home. Okay. That's why she needed a ride, but she was coming in from Philly. So I'm guessing it was closer for her parents to pick her up at the closest train station than it was to drive all the way to Philly. Okay. That's how I took it. But I still think it's like super freaking late. Anything after nine o'clock is late for me. So (laughs) sure. You old lady. Yeah, I feel that. So old. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's so late. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Two days after Julie disappeared, Todd went to the family home. Gloria said that she recognized his voice from the times that he would call Julie. She said that he was very possessive of Julie, but didn't believe that there was a relationship further than friends. Now there's kind of been speculation on that, but don't know. Gloria. I'm sorry. I can't imagine sleeping with a homeless man. I wonder. I just can't. Like, okay. I'm not sure. I I know that she. Sarah vomit. <laughs> I know that quote unquote he was never at the house, but I mean teenagers sneak someone in. Like I I have no idea. But she said that they talked an awful lot. We're just being friends, but who I don't know. It's unclear. Gloria let him in and fed him while he talked to her. He told her that he put her on the R5 train to Lansdale, which is like super creepy to say I put her on there as if she couldn't herself. I don't know. That bothered me. Anyway, um, he also asked the family if they reported her missing or checked the train yards because there are a lot of places to hide a body. So Gloria called the cops immediately. I mean, I would too. I don't have kids, but if a friend of my non-existent child came to me and said, oh yeah, there's lots of places to bury a body, I would go out of my mind. I mean, I can't imagine just, oh, well, well, you should check the last place that she was because there's a lot of places to put a body there. Okay, thanks. So That's the, creepy. The only thing that I could possibly think of is, um, so where they found her body um, it is really known to be overrun with homeless people and, uh, major drug problems in that area. So all mm. I could think is maybe he knew of people with overdoses. I don't know. It's just a really strange comment to make. So I agree. Yeah. And especially because he says a lot of places to hide a body and not just like, you know, there's places to, to bury someone, you know, I mean, if, if you're homeless and you can't afford a funeral or a burial plot or anything, you know, and you die of natural causes or whatever, like that's a little bit different, but you're using the word hide and that's, there's, there's something to that word choice. Well then I think it's so weird. He like literally put himself as the last person who saw her. Right, like, specifically, I put her on the train. I didn't just drop her off. Like, I was there when she stepped foot on the train. It could have been, yeah. like, a, like, protective kind of thing. Like, if a, you know, kind of like a parent. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like in that time frame, I mean, I was not even eight years old then. But <laughs> I would think that, you know, I put him on the train is more of less, like, I was there and, and saw her and I made sure she was safe kind of thing. Yeah. Then, like, I put her on the train and made her, like, sit down. Well, the thing that I find strange is he never just showed up to the house ever. So what 
prompted him to show up at the house, like so close to her going missing and then just like revealing that information. He Did he know that him. she was reported missing at that no, time? Because he, no, he specifically asked her parents if they reported oh. her, which I think is super sketch. That is weird. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, it is possible that, you know, he was used to seeing her, hearing from her and hadn't. So, you know, he took the next logical step to him, which was talking to the family and, you know, just maybe in his own mind, he's already assuming the worst and he's thinking someone took her, someone got her off that train, someone killed her and she's buried here because there are lots of places you can hide things. Um, I mean, it, it still seems a little sketchy, but I wonder if part of it was just him and his personality and that's just how he knew to handle things it does um, add up if you're if he's super protective and i guess you know he's homeless so he probably knows what goes on on the streets there right we that's also true. have to think about too like why was he homeless at this time in the world like autism and things like that weren't treated the same way. So, you know, they would put them in, um, they would classify them as like schizophrenic and put them in state hospitals. And a lot of them became homeless and stuff because they would get out or they, and they didn't know how to. So maybe him saying some of these things and the way he's acting is just because that's him. Like he doesn't know better. That's valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll never know. I didn't find like a lot of information on him, like giving any um, interviews or anything like that. The police did say that he took off after like everything kind of like settled and her case went cold. And when they were trying to re- reinvestigate, they couldn't even find him. Like, no idea where he went. But so when Gloria did call the cops after this strange uh, encounter with him, the authorities already claimed that they were looking into him as a suspect and did a thorough search of the train yard, quote unquote, which turned out to be a lie because her body was found December 2nd, 1993 at the train yard, 50 yards from the platform. And it turned out authorities only questioned people on the platform and didn't conduct a search of the actual grounds of the train station. Do you think it was possible that her body was put there after the police searched the area? So it, that definitely did cross my mind, but Gloria said she pushed into the cops like, hey, you like you specifically told me that you searched and it ended up coming out that they admitted to not doing a thorough search, that it was just talking to people on the platform and they didn't fan out, didn't look at the entire premises. Um, but another thing is they said that the body was so badly decomposed from like the thawing and freezing and then thawing and then freezing that they definitely think she was there for a good amount of time. Okay. Yeah. And I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, they shouldn't have lied about the search obviously, but if they were only treating it as just like a missing person's case at the beginning, they weren't looking for a body. That's true. I just know that her mom was very not happy. I'd be pissed, too. Mm-hmm. So Julie was found by a homeless man, and she was naked from the waist down. During the autopsy, it was determined she died from blunt force trauma to the head. 
She was identified by her mother with a rose tattoo on her leg. The stated decomp was at an active decay, and I found out while doing the research that there are typically five general stages of decomposition, and they are fresh, bloat, active decay, advanced decay, and skeletonization. Mm-hmm. Authorities believe that she was murdered the night she went missing and was immediately disposed of, which means she was outside in the elements for 3.5 weeks. 50 yards from the platform doesn't seem too far. And aren't they, like, raised up? So wouldn't it be easier to see her? So just because I've ridden, like, most of these uh, trains from different, uh, uh, two different places from Philly, it kind of depends where you are. I know one has a very high fence. So, like, you can't get over into their, uh, the rest of their premise. Um, and some of them are just so high up that it's such a far drop. I don't, and everything else is kind of gated in. Um, but you would think, I don't know how it's laid out. I haven't been to the Lansdale train station. We should make a field trip. (laughs) We have a lot of places to visit. Well, I definitely think it's probably changed since the 90s oh i'm sure but who knows who knows but due to freezing and thawing which i stated before the body was in severe decomp they believe that a sexual assault occurred but didn't have the dna evidence because of like the state of the body and there was zero forensic evidence i mean if they didn't search the train yard did they check it's very true valid point yeah. Um, I'm curious about how thorough it all was if police already admitted that one part wasn't thorough. Um, I mean, even at, you know, tiny train stations and stops, I would have to think it's noticeable unless, like Grace had mentioned, you know, if her body was moved, uh, which we've kind of debunked as a possibility or was just somehow concealed a little bit better. Um And, I mean, I think we kind of go back to that thought, too, of if they were looking at this as missing person and not, you know, suspected deceased person, they're, you know, not going to check absolutely everything. Um, But I even think of, like, right now, they're building a new train station near where Amanda and I live, and I drive by where they're working on it almost every day, and... You can see a lot of it, like, from the road, but I have the feeling if you were standing on that platform, you're not really going to see, you know, like, you might have to be down on the ground to actually see something. So, with the new platform, I don't know, I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the current not with one, the, no, no not with the current one, but with the newer one. It's literally a bench, and they put a piece of wood out for you to walk over the tracks so you can get in it. Like, it's, yeah. Fancy. It's, oh, yeah, that's that's how my husband and I go to Philly in D.C. <laughs> we always we use it. that station. <laughs> the first and time I, guess I was here. like, what is this shit? Like, we're walking on, where's the train station with, like, the boards? And, like, it's in the movies, and it's it's a park bench. And I guess it was November, so she could have possibly been covered in, like, leaves or trash or just something to conceal her. Or snow, sure. Something to conceal her a little more. Yeah. Especially if that weather was crazy at the time, and that's why she was decomposed so much. 
Well, Amanda looked it up because I was on struggle bus and couldn't find it. But apparently it was like really windy that month. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Huh. Though the person who found her, um, they had like a little bit of an interview and it was kind of like overgrown brush. It wasn't an upkept area. Um, A lot of homeless people stayed there. So I don't know, you know, how tall was the grass before it started dying? Um, could it be a good covering spot, you know, to hide a body? I'm I'm not sure. You talked about like a lot of homeless people in the area and typically like in the winter and stuff, they have tents. So I'm wondering like if this guy was worried about other homeless people, maybe she was concealed at the beginning in a tent and then like oh, they that's true. pushed her out when she started to smell. I mean, as horrible as that sounds, did not but think like about that. It would be easy to conceal her there because they're not going to go in every tent. I mean, they don't really want to search it. No one wants to, you know, dig through stuff like that. Somebody's personal belongings and stuff. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Do you need a warrant to search a tent? Do you? I don't I know. I have no I idea. Know. I mean, if they open it, can't I, you just see everything? <laughs> it I depends think... how big the tent is, I guess. Yeah. I would think, yes, you need a warrant to go through the belongings, but if the tent itself is on public property, that you could, like, look at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. wouldn't be able to open things, but you could, like, if the door is open, you can look sort of, not door, but flap. You know what I, mean? <laughs> yeah. I guess in my mind, I was thinking since it was so cold, like, maybe they, they find other places to to sleep or maybe there's more shelters with more availability during the way i don't know how it works but that's what i thought that maybe that's why someone didn't come across her sooner in that month well and if it's cold you probably didn't smell her because she probably you know was cold enough to preserve and even if she wasn't i mean notoriously homeless people don't smell the greatest so there's a possibility they just didn't realize she was there that's true that's that's definitely true. So the night of the train ride, there were estimated 30 to 40 other passengers that rode along with Julie. Multiple witnesses said they saw her talking to a white man in his 20s on the platform. He hasn't been identified and there was not enough info to create a composite sketch, though I do want to state that through the years, uh, they authorities think that that person could break this case. What do we know about her her friend? Um, and I know his last name was Todd, but now I'm blanking on his first name. Could it have been him? Because he is the one who said, like, he put her on the train. So could it have just been that she was talking to him on the platform? I could. I tried so hard to find out what, you know, if he was white, but I, I, I couldn't. Okay. I only could get his age. Did, okay. Did they not have cameras? Because, like, that Wendy Eaton case that we worked on, that was, like, in 1975 or something, and the SEPTA had cameras. They didn't mention anything about cameras in any of the articles that I came across. Interesting. So I'm not sure about that. Now, Jesus, SEPTA updated from Philly. I This was when I was graduating. They have cameras in every single uh, passenger car. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
because they have so much so much crime happening, um, you're not getting away with anything on that dream. Maybe they but did anyway. have cameras in the 90s, but they were just like pointed at a very small area or something like that and didn't really give much information. That's, That's what I was thinking, too. Like, maybe they were just pointed not directly on the platform, but at something else. Yeah. Yeah. I would think it would be noted, though, but no, who knows? Not sure. Um, the other suspect in her murder was Scott Hutchins, a 26-year-old man who ended up serving time for attacking two other women at train platforms. One of the attacks was actually at the Lansdale. One of the attacks was at the Lansdale train station when, in January of 1994, he attacked Karen McKinney. She had slipped, and he pounced on her, stabbing her multiple times with a kitchen knife. Now she did survive the attack, and he was sentenced with attempted murder, robbery, and possession of an instrument of crime. Later, there were connections to Arthur Bomar. He had lived in the Lansdale area with his wife. He also worked at the Doylestown Hospital as an orderly when Julie was a patient for a burst appendix. There were similarities to Julie's murder that matched the murder of Amy Willard. Both had severe head trauma, they were young, and they were sexually assaulted. Authorities have tried so hard to connect Bomar to Julie. Without forensic evidence, it is hard. Authorities talked to Bomar's wife, and she said that he confessed to them about following Amy from Smokey Joe's and that he used a fake police badge to get her to pull off the road on an exit ramp, yet she said that he never once mentioned Julie or Maria. In 2013, on the 20th anniversary, authorities opted to start again from scratch, giving the case to new detectives with fresh eyes. The renewed investigation has led to more clues, but they are staying tight-lipped about it. Though they made a statement saying it gives them a renewed hope for the case. In 2016, the DA, Kevin Steele, said in a press release that there is no such thing as a cold case in Montgomery County. We continue to work with the Lansdale Police in following up on several leads we received this year. We've interviewed hundreds of people about Julie's murder since it happened, and we've re-interviewed many in the last several years. We want to find her murderer and bring justice to this family that has been grieving for 23 years, now with no closure. November 8th, 2018, the 25th anniversary, the DA reminded people that there is a $10,000 reward. He also pleaded for public help to fill in that timeline from leaving the Lansdale train to being killed. Any info, you can call Montgomery County Detective Bureau at 610-278-3368 or Lansdale Police Department at 610-270-0977. Anonymous tips can be texted to Monco Crime Tips on the free Stop It app. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victim, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.